Well, good evening, everyone. Eddie doesn't want to introduce me anymore, so I'll just <laughs> jump right in, I guess. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a few of us that weren't here last week, um, and I've already had a request to do a little bit of review. So um, we did a bit of math. Uh, is there someone that just wants to like come give a? <laughs> she loves math. It's all on you, Nathan. Well, you weren't here last week. <laughs> it's true he has uh in angola okay so last last week was that a week ago it was a week ago i know a lot happened during that oh man um okay so last week we we talked about some brutal facts so these are all just terms that um i don't know who came up with them, but the brutal facts so if you have, what, what did we say, 500,000? Yeah. Uh, and these are estimates, not exact. Yeah, this is just like, so 500,000 more or less residents in Colorado Springs. If we consider about 10% of them are, uh, or let's, let's just put it this way, let's just say 90% of the residents of Colorado Springs are far from God. You know, so by far from God, I don't necessarily mean they're bad people or but they just are not in a a relationship. They're not disciples. They're not um and so again, this is just a number based on nothing other than just um so it might be 92%, it might be 84%, who knows. But Assuming that it's 90%, that means we have, what, 450,000 people around us who are far from God. Okay, so the average church is about 100 members, right? So let's see. So if you divide that by 100, you get... 4,500. 4, 4, oh, no, 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 no. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Let's, let's just assume that we want to try and reach 10%. I was, I was like, that's a big number. Okay. Let's just assume that we want to try and reach 10% of the people in our community who are far from God. Okay. So we can just drop that zero, right? Okay. So then. If the average church has about 10, no, 100 people in it, then we can drop two more zeros, right? That means we would have to plant 450 churches to accommodate that number. We would have to have 450, more or less, these are just, again, just in order to just just have a place, a community for <coughs> those people. Um, 450 churches. Okay. So then the question is, um, let's see, 
How did we do this? The like how long would it take for us to plant four hundred and fifty churches? I forgot too. <laughs> but I think all of you can Yeah, but mm-hmm. yeah. So basically, the the idea is so if you if you were to t- to use a, an example, okay, like in Ghana, they've planted maybe thirty churches um, in Accra in the last ten years. Um, of course, Accra is much much bigger city than Colorado Springs. Um, so I don't know. When you, when you do the calculating, even even in a place where it seems like the church is actually growing, it would take like 1,700-something years for them just to reach 10% of a crop. Um, and that doesn't even account for population growth and stuff like that. So, yet, within 300 years, the early church went from just a ragtag group of guys to 10% of the Roman Empire claimed to be Christian by the time of uh, Constantine. So, something was happening different then that's not happening, we're, we're still at that 10%, like, um, and like I said, still just a made-up number, but we're still, if, if you consider even just, well, 450 churches, that's about how many churches are in Colorado Springs, according to one estimate I've seen. So, at an average of 100 members per church, obviously some churches are way smaller, some churches are way bigger, but at an average, we're probably around 10% of the population is engaged and involved in a church in Colorado Springs. That seems probably, does does that seem right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's just reality. That's what we talked about last week. So today we want to talk about what is, okay, so yes, or not yesterday, last week we had the brutal facts. So, but we don't want to stop there, obviously. We need some sort of clear path. Okay, so you and I probably, we, in our Western mindset, we have a tendency to think linearly and make, you know, like timelines and charts and bullet points and and all this kind of stuff. That's, you know, so like, you know, what's the first thing we do? Then the second thing we do... Um, this four fields idea is something that has grown out of 
the developing world where people don't think necessarily in the same way we do. And so when confronted with these brutal facts, the response they came up with, and this, this isn't actually from Africa, it came out of Southeast Asia, but has, has um, really picked up all over the developing world, is something called Four Fields. Has anyone, I think some of you have probably heard the, the you know, Four Fields, but does anyone know anything about it here besides Tim? <laughs> no? Anybody? No? Okay. Did you raise your hand? Okay. Um, okay, so I'm just going to very uh, briefly explain the concept of the four fields. So the four fields is basically simply four fields. You've got the empty field. You've got A seeded field, you have the growing field, and then you have the harvest field. Okay. Can can everyone kind of visualize that? Four fields, the empty field, seeded field, a growing field, and the harvest field. And that's these, these are just basic, simple agricultural uh, concepts. You start with an empty field, you put the seeds in the ground, you nurture them, and they grow, and at some point you harvest them, and then you do the whole thing over again. So basically, it's a cycle. Okay. Any questions so far? I haven't really explained much, but is anything unclear or is my drawing somewhat? It's very good. <laughs> I'm not an artist. What are you drawing? Well, I was an artist. <laughs> what am I drawing? <laughs> I don't know. Looks like. Wheat. It does yeah. look kind of like, like wheat, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so just like, does anyone have any agricultural? I know Umoyo has grown peanuts because um, she did that last year. Has anyone ever, like, had a garden? Yeah. Um, I, my grandmother did. Um, I've never done much gardening myself, um, at least not in a, I've, you know, put things in pots and stuff, but um, essentially, okay, can someone try and guess what these fields represent? Let's, let's do, do that. Any guesses out there? I have a guess over here for people. Sorry? People. Uh, yeah. Kind of. But, but I, I guess more accurately, so this would be people that are close to God. Yeah. So what, what, what is what is this field? It's it's an empty field. So, but what when when we talk about an empty field, what does that mean in more people who 
spiritual terms. Mm -hmm. And then what is a seeded field? Right. So essentially, you you have to look for empty fields so that you can actually plant seeds in them. So, so, so one way to think of the seeded field is evangelism. It's 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 sharing sharing your faith with with people who don't have faith. Um, the growing field. What would that represent? So discipleship. So this is the, the this field is where you are nurturing and growing a person, helping them learn and grow. And then the harvest field, the, you know, the harvest is where you collect everything and <laughs> put it together. That's the church. So you're you're harvesting and you're um, there, there's a word I'm not thinking of, but you know, uh, yeah, gathering. Um, is that where new church plants go as well? Sorry. Is that where new church plants go as well? Yeah, so um, within this, this is, um, yeah, that, that's basically, I'll just okay. leave it at that for now. Um, so where's your seed corn? The what? It looks like you're eating your seed corn. That's going back into the bare field. So, and that that's why this is a, so once you have a church that's established, part of what it means to be a healthy church is looking for new fields so it's not like you know it's not a perfect analogy but you know so you search for a new field and then you plant in that field and it's a a circular type it's not i guess it's not the same field over and over again the what <laughs> Okay, well, but no, you. Once we get the harvest. The yes, but that, but that's true. So I, I see what you're saying. So, right. So we, once you harvest your corn, once you harvest your corn, you eat some, but you also save some. I see what you're getting at there. You don't eat it all. You've got to save some so that you can plant more. That's right. So that you can continue to reproduce. Umoyo kept some of. She kept her best. Uh, peanuts and from her best plants actually it was from the best plants she 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 put those peanuts aside and so when we plant again she's gonna plant from those plants and yeah and it's a cycle that so it's disciples who make disciples who make disciples and so on and it was Constantine that caused the church to eat its seed <laughs> yes. When we moved from house churches into a stadium church. Yes. And that's um, ba basically at, at the time of Constantine, that's when the church came from underground and was just part of became. Public building mm hmm. Yep. Okay. So the. the um, Lost my notes. They turned off. How do I turn them back on again? Yeah. 
Okay. So, yeah, basic, basically that's the, that's the concept of the four fields. And then uh, leadership development is, you know, kind of what you would, um, it's sort of like a fifth area. You, you train leaders who help facilitate this cycle. Um, but so I think a lot of our problem, whether you're talking about, oh, sorry, Tim. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I was just going to say that I think if you go back to those brutal facts numbers where 10% are you know, close to God and we're trying to reach 10% of the 90%, mm -hmm. if you think about that, that's not even every person bringing one person to Christ. That's, that's less than that. And even that that seems daunting. Right. But when right. we look at the numbers themselves, we say, Wow, that's you know, forty five thousand people that we're we're trying to bring to Christ and how long is it gonna take us to do that? It's gonna take years just based on history. Right. And I think if I remember correctly, this was brought about to to try to make it easier for people to wrap their minds around how do I actually go about Exactly. So just like if you have ever grown, um, ever had a garden, you have different tools that you use at different parts of the process, right? You don't use one tool for everything unless you only have one tool and then what is it, every, like, every nail, every like nail what, what's that expression? Yeah. But hopefully you have, you know, a variety of tools to use at the different parts of your um, planting and harvesting and uh, uh, just the agricultural process. So likewise, you have different tools that you use in each field when you're talking more figuratively, not agriculturally. So um, the uh, the first the first tool that we're going to talk about today is from the first field. So one, two, three, four. So we're going to talk about, um, and I can't go over all of the tools that they talk about because we just don't have time. But we're going to talk about the relational map. Um, over here, you've got the um, person of peace and 15-second testimony. Um, over here, you've got several things, including the baptism hammer and three circles. And over here, you've got the healthy church circle. And yeah, basically, you've got different tools. And this, this is basically a way to think about, it's a framework for understanding how churches can and Christians can multiply, make disciples, and because when I was in college, there was a guy. Really, a lot of this work is based on a book called Church Planting Movements by a guy named Garrison. Wait, David Garrison. I almost said Garrison Keeler. Um, David Garrison. Um, he did a lot of. Uh, research on where is the church growing and how is it growing and 
it was a very good book, but it was all just theory and, you know, it was like a doctoral dissertation kind of. I think they simplified it a little bit and published it. And, um, but it got a lot of attention because um, he, he studied a bunch of different church planting movements that were successful and compared them and figured out what are the elements that they have in common. Most of what we're talking about actually comes from David Garrison's original research, but it was basically uh, some guys and probably gals in Southeast Asia who were reinterpreting this and actually trying to turn it into something simple, basic, practical, and biblical. Um, so um, we'll start with the relational map. So there are people out there, okay, if 10%, no, if 90% of the population is far from God. Now, I know a lot of my friends are from church, and a lot of my friends I would not categorize as far from God. But, and sometimes it's actually kind of hard to think, who are my non-Christian friends? Uh, because um, I think a lot of, we've just learned not to think that way or something. Um, so, the relational map is just a basic kind of Nathan. So this is me. Right. So when I when I honestly this I, I actually spent probably an hour today. I was like, oh shoot, I've got to do my relational map in class today. So like I sat down at Taco Bell uh, with a piece of paper and started working on it. it. Wasn't super easy, I'll tell you. Okay, so me. So I'm trying to think who are the people that I know that I have a relationship with who are far from God. Okay? So I thought of, and I took some notes here. Okay. So I thought of Eduardo. Okay, so he's a Portuguese guy. I mean, he's Angolan, but of Portuguese um, descent or ancestry or whatever. Um, and he owns a cafe that I go to all the time. And we've become pretty good friends. Um, I mean, I'm his customer, but we um, we talk a lot. Um, and he's, he's a good guy. He loves his family. He is kind to people. Um, but even, even still, he's, I would not, I would not categorize him as someone who is close to God. He doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. He's not a disciple of Christ. So, and he has a wife. I don't know her name. Um, and she has a sister. I don't know her name. Um, and they both have a few children. But so that's, that's one relationship that I have. Um, over here, I've got Yola. It's 
So she's a neighbor. She lives sort of across the, what do you call it? Not the hall, but just in the same apartment Breeze complex. Way. Breezeway, yes. <laughs> um, Yola, and she's, she's Catholic. I mean, she, you know, she was baptized when she was a baby. And sometimes she goes to mass. Um, but I would not characterize her as someone who really knows God. She's uh, has had a very, very troubled marriage. She's got a son, Ivandru, who is probably about 15 or 16 now. And he really looks up to me. Uh, so he's grown up. We've lived in the same building. I mean, I've been there in that building for probably 11 years. So he was just a little kid. So he's grown up watching me. And, um, but, you know, they know I'm a missionary, but honestly, I've never really tried to engage with them in a really meaningful way. Um, let's see, got Sami, uh, another guy, uh, he, his wife lived, or no, his, well, he's the baby daddy to one of the, <laughs> the ladies in the building. Um, but I, I've gotten to know him well, pretty well, because he's, he's a good baby daddy. He comes and, you know, he pays attention to his kids and um, uh, yeah, he, he's a good guy. Um, and then uh, there's Henoch. <laughs> Henoch is my insurance, car insurance agent. sales agent. Yes. Um, and my, so the, the car insurance place is literally just right around the corner from the building where we live. And so I see him quite often, and uh, we interact quite a bit. He has a sister named Maria. <coughs> and she lives in Colorado Springs. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm hoping to connect with her, but I, I lost her contact information. I've talked to her on the phone before, but he's... None of these people I would consider non-believers. These are not like Richard Dawkins, atheist type people. These are all generally good people that I know in my community. And if I thought more, I could come up with more. Um, but um, so this is my relational map. Go ahead. So is Yola, Describe her as she's not a practicing Catholic. Is that the right description? Or she right. Which is 95% of Catholics in Angola. Yeah. Which is probably 50% of Angolans. So a lot of Angolans consider themselves Catholic, and 95% of them are not practicing in any way. It's, you know, you. 
What is it? You're born, you're baptized, you're, yeah, basically you're married and buried, you know, so, um, so is anyone willing to come share a relational map? Anybody think they can, anybody? I need to go to Taco Bell. <laughs> no volunteers? Go ahead. I've kind of been through this map before. Mm-hmm. The thing about section one is it's an empty field. And we go into a field like that and we prepare that field to do the work. In other words, we see what the needs of the people are. Right. And so these these are yeah. my empty I field. Now there are number two. Because the seed is already there. They already know of Christ. Many of them. Right. Some maybe not, but they may be in one. Or but if they're Catholic and whatever and they're learning, they've moved on to three already. So I don't I've never seen that relationship there, but the preparation to go into an area to teach is really important. That's in the military, we call it reconnaissance to know what's there, mm -hmm. what you're going to teach. So once the seed has been planted, you can work with that seed because these people are all in a different place. Right. Catholic, uh, somebody that looks up to you, that seed's already there. Mm -hmm. So that's where we begin the nurturing of those people. And so that's, I guess I would say, it's partly your job because you know those people. Mm -hmm. And then once they start learning, they're going to move on to three because that's the area where we really start training them and teaching them uh, more than probably they know already. They don't know God. They may be religious, but you know, move on. But see, one of the problems that we have is our tendency is we find a person like this and we just try to pull them straight over here. Mm -hmm. We just try to plug them in when they haven't. Um, and I'm not saying that we don't bring our friends to church. That's not um, that's not what I'm trying to imply. But just bringing our friends to church. I mean, how how often have we. You know, has it been pounded into us? You know, you know, bring a friend to church. You know, bring them to the community and the Christ, a relationship with Christ. Right. That's our purpose. Right. And but this, that's that's why the the relational aspect is so important because it can't just be we bring them to church and then expect Eddie to, you know, take care of them or. The youth minister Kevin or um, you know another teacher or um, well, mature Christians we have to have our feet in all of the places right we have to do the reconnaissance we have to spread the put the seed out there for and nurture that seed and then as they learn we teach them more right and then finally we expect a harvest you know the mm -hmm. harvest where they become Christians or baptized, and they're starting to do the work. They're going out looking for another field to do. They're looking for the opportunity to teach other people. But yeah, that's a whole cycle there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So to 
Um, let's see, where was I? You were hoping somebody would uh, drop you. Are you willing? No. Sorry. I think I think too what you can look at is I would I mean I would almost be willing to go up and say like these are areas of my life that I could look for people because as you were explaining where your people were they were all in different aspects of your hobbies your daily life your so like yeah. you almost make a relational guide map for lack of a better term on where yeah. you'd be looking for people I mean you go to this cafe you're in this area almost every other day whatever right there's people you can be looking for that are working there that are I'm also going there to do things. People that you bump into daily. You go to like, for me, it would be like my girl's school. Other parents that I either connect with or have conversations. Or their friends, you know, families. Um, the store, I go to multiple stores, but I go to the same stores. And so you start seeing the people behind the deli counting. You start seeing the people at the cash register. You, start, you know what I mean? So I think sometimes it might be hard to pinpoint exact people unless you have the mindset of looking for those people that may have needs. Kind of like, where do I reconnaissance? You know, like, to bring in his. So you can almost make a map of, like, this is the area of my life that I could look for that, and just mm -hmm. start looking for those people. Yeah. Um, I, so I'll be honest with you. I'm, like, I'm a missionary. I would not consider myself to be, like, the most, like, gung-ho, evangelistic, you know, just, like, a lot of what I do is more, I thrive more in this area. This is, this is my, when, when we've got people who are already interested, they want to study the Bible, and we sit down and we study the Bible together, that's, that's where I, Danny, he's more comfortable here in like bringing Christians together, that's my teammate, you know, and, you know, in the church context. And but the point being, not all of us are just natural, you know, in the whole process. Tim, well, that's actually somewhat related to what I was just going to say because I think the whole point of this this map here is for if you're going to start with if you're going to think about discipleship, well, then who are my targets of discipleship? So we can take this tool and we can start uh, laying out these relational maps of well, who are my who are my unchurched friends, you know, because they would seem to be the natural people that I would start with, and then you know the extended pieces there, or you know, if that were successful, where that might uh, permeate down to. I, I think the piece that's really in, instructive to me, and I would suspect many of us as American American Christians is that we are very insular and we have a hard time thinking of like four or five unchurched friends mm -hmm. which is really not good actually right i think about nathan knows this person alfred mm -hmm. climbed stone mountain in the, near atlanta several times when the weather was good enough anyway he climbs the mountain at least once a week kind of like eddie in the incline yeah. But he prays before he goes up that mountain that he has that he makes contact with somebody to mention Jesus, mm -hmm. and he's very good at that. Yeah. So he would be like one of those reconnaissance people, and you know maybe we need to rely on God a little bit more and pray for empty fields. 
Yeah. So what I'm really wanting to do here is if I could get a volunteer, even if you're just making up names and people and stuff uh, and stories and just, you know, it's just, you know, you know, names and places or, you know, entirely coincidental or whatever. Um, like, I would like to, like, as a group, we could talk about how could we, uh, the, my, my, my person or my relational map is so foreign to your context. Like, I would like to have a relational map that's like here so that we can kind of discuss like, okay, how would we reach these types of people? Is that making sense? <laughs> Okay, you want me to draw one? Sure, if you're... <laughs> were you going to say something, Umoya? Did you need to bang she, on the drum? She was going to do it. Yeah, people here. fighting over here to volunteer. <laughs> <laughs> I can't watch you. Okay. So you can make up stuff if you want, or you yeah. can... Oh, no, you I, know. I know enough people that you guys uh -huh. So I'm here in the middle, and I'll say I have my friend Meg over here. She has five kids. One husband. And one husband. Who is father to all five of the kids. No baby daddy. But she's Catholic. And a not very practicing Catholic. Um, but we chat online most days. So another online friend is Jess, who is single now and has one kiddo. Um, we also chat online. It's actually usually the three of us. But I have school friends, and I will just, you know, so in my classmates, so just naming one of them, I have a friend named Kayla who has a son, several, I believe, stepchildren, um, and a husband. Um, the son, we connected because her son has a heart condition, so we can share heart mm -hmm. baby stories in class. Um, but I could probably list, I mean, I could do, list probably 30, 40 people in my class that I'm right. close with. And I have coworkers, um, lots of those, none that I'm really close to, but I do spend a lot of time with them. Mm -hmm. So, and they obviously, some go to church, some don't go to church. And then um, I would even say I, so I'll put my work friends up here, mm -hmm. but I would also say that I have friends that I've made at church that would fall yeah. into a different field, whether they're here or I've known them here and they aren't here anymore. You know, mm -hmm. I've known them at other churches and aren't here. Yeah. So is this what a relational map mm -hmm. kind of looks like? Yeah, and I think that's a really good point. I actually know quite a few people that are, and we talked about this last week, people who I don't know that they're necessarily far from God, but they're estranged from the church. And um, so that's that's actually yeah. a really good. And and then I should put in. I mean, I have three, you know. Tim and our three kids, who now like three different locations. So, you know, Addison is in St. Louis with her friends and some church friends. Brennan, and then he's got a fiance, and then Lauren's here with EYG and MYG and her school and so I'm seeing how mm -hmm. this just builds out right out now and it's not like your relational map is all your responsibility like in terms yeah. of like okay so obviously 
Tim and your children are kind of your responsibility in some sense, but not exclusively. Right. I mean, right. that's you mentioned we have EYG and MYG. Right. You've got it kind of works both ways because yeah, they're supporting her, but I can also skip and support those ministries too. Right. So, so how can okay what what are some ideas that we could share with Christy about ways and not that you have to do these things yeah. but you might someone might have an idea like how can she Start reach yeah yeah <laughs> Well, reconnaissance, but um, like I don't think Christy has grandchildren, but so you could add grandchildren in there. <laughs> I haven't told Tim about them. So one of one of the and like I am a total like I can't tell you how many of these four fields seminars I've been to and I only actually sat down and made my relational map today. So I'm I'm a bad missionary, I guess. <laughs> but the idea is that you should sit down and make your relational map and that's who you pray for on a regular basis. Um and when you're praying for people, you're much more likely, I think, to see those openings where, because your, your mind is engaged uh, on the, the spiritual or the, even the, just the lostness of your friends. And I don't mean that in a, you know, everyone needs to be closer to God, right? And so, but when you are constantly praying about people uh, and specific people, then you're more likely to see opportunities when they arise that may arise that you may just completely miss because you're not in that frame of mind. Obviously, initially when we started, we talked about 500,000 people in Colorado Springs, and then that's 50,000 of them may be closer to God. And one building on what Tim said here, if we're trying to reach 10% of the, again, round numbers, but 10% of 450,000, that's 45,000. So you've got 50,000 people, first of all, trying to reach 45,000, which is less than one, like Tim pointed out. But Christy has on um, her relationship chart there, you know, I know they're not all in Colorado Springs, yeah. but, you know, the um, that's a lot more than <clears throat> nine-tenths of a person. Yeah. You know, and, and obviously these 45,000 people are not going to evangelize. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. You, Christy, are not going to reach 45,000 people. But if you reach two, if everybody reaches one or two, you do that 10% in less, probably less than 300 years. 
Um, so it's you know it's it's not a it's not a, an insurmountable task, but it's insurmountable because we won't do it. You know, it's that's what the bottom line is. The brutal fact is that we won't do it. But we we, we individually should not be discouraged because God's not going to you know judge me on what Kathy doesn't do. I'm, I'm, I just need to take care of, of you know, what I can do. Uh, and I'm not saying that very well, but, but I, all I'm saying is it, it doesn't need to be as discouraging as we might think. Right. There is, there is, a, there is hope. There is a way out there. Yeah, go ahead, Amoya. And also, like, there's that verse that says one sows and another leaves and all of that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we might not, with one person, go through all the fields with the, the person. Um, because, like, I remember when I was in at university, I, I used to, I, I was yeah, in, 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 in a certain position, and I used to give, ask people to sign up for these leaflets, Christian material. And so, and then I'll put them in their little boxes, which was in one place. And this other, a girl who was Hindu or something, at some point came to me and she said, Oh, all these notes you're putting in my, you know, you haven't put any in my box. So I was like, Oh, okay. I hadn't even considered her because I let people sign up for it. And so I started putting the things in her box. And I didn't think, I really didn't think any of it, anything of it. I hadn't done anything. I didn't even consider the person. And um, eventually, years later, and that was about it, I went off my way. And, and years later, that same lady um, became a Christian and is has been, you know, doing a lot for God. She, she's part of um, a um, ministry, which ministers to, to university students and everything. So some. I, I, I'll just try to say that it may be that for everybody, you don't necessarily do everything for everybody. And because that might seem stressful for, for people, do what, what you can do um, with the people that are in your within your reach. And also just to say that, um, it, like your dad was saying, um, if you reach one person in your, in your group, it has a, an effect on the whole life. Um, and, and that might mean that other people in the family also get to know about God and, and everything else. Yeah, in the New Testament, there's several examples of, you know, entire households coming to faith. And I think that's still possible today. Yeah? Well, <clears throat> opportunity is a good thing, too. Looks like you're pretty close to Meg. Mm -hmm. That would be a prime opportunity with her because of your friendship. Not that we object spreading it to all the others out right. there, but sometimes we have to concentrate and make a big difference in one person's life, or maybe two, those that we feel that we could make that difference in. So she's got about 10 people on here, and I'm sure she could expand it. Um, yeah, because I, I kind of cheated with work cause yeah. in school, and I picked one person out of school. And you have opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, but imagine, okay, so everyone has a relational map, whether they've drawn it out or not, 
Like, it's just, that's the way re relationships work like this. I mean, this is just a visual re representation. Uh, but sometimes drawing it out helps you kind of connect the dots. I'll leave you in my Yeah, time. that's fine. <laughs> Thanks. Um, but if all of us sat down and drew out our relational maps, that would be a lot of people. I mean, you could probably, I mean, I don't know what it would, if we all had 10 people, there might be some overlap. You know, some people might have the same person, but if everyone had 10, then how many are we in here? Like, I'm not good at counting heads. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, and, and the thing is, is, like I said, not everyone in your relational map is necessarily going to come to faith. But uh, if we are thinking in these relational terms, um, then, uh, I mean, basically this is just the, like my dad was saying, there actually is hope. Um, the, the brutal facts that we were talking about can be reversed. Yeah? Well, I was just going to kind of go the opposite direction of your, your brutal facts that you started with. I mean, the opposite end of that is what is the smallest thing I can do just to get started, right? And, I mean, habits are built from just taking a step. So, like, if you think about it that way, it's a lot more easy to kind of digest is what is what is the smallest thing I can do to move any of these fields forward? You know, what is one person that I can think of that might not be close to God? You know, mm -hmm. What is one thing I can do to throw a seed in their direction? What is somebody that I know who you know, knows that I'm a Christian and has expressed interest in what I believe? You know, how do I throw some water there? You know, it, it doesn't have to be this grand, I'm going out to save 45,000 people. It's what's my next step. Yeah. And that's how we build a, a habit that becomes a practice, that becomes second nature, that changes the way we interact with the people around us. Yeah. Has anyone heard of uh, Michael Frost, a writer? Um, he wrote a book called Surprise the World um, and one of the things that he suggests is um, I'm not finding oh here it is um, it's in Portuguese this is one of the books we translated into Portuguese so uh, he tries to have a meal with at least three people every week uh, and at least one of them being a non-Christian. So he tries to connect every week with at least three people over a meal, whether it's, even if it's just coffee or, um, you know, go to Starbucks or Waffle House or, you know, whatever, with three people every week. And um, he tries to make sure that at least one of them is a non-believer. Three people at once? No, just okay. uh, 
three meals. And and he argues that that eating a meal with someone is I don't know if Eddie would attest to this. I know he eats a lot of meals with people. But there's just something about sitting down to a meal with people that um yeah and and even uh, going to a restaurant isn't even the same thing as having someone over in in your home um, that's that's really been lost uh, but but even so I mean he he says it's great if you can have someone over at your home but you know at least you know he tries to have so he uh, he chooses three people every week that he's going to try and he prays for them all week and he tries to connect with them over a meal each week. That seems doable. I mean, even if it's just <laughs> uh, sitting next to them in the lunchroom and having a conversation or whatever. You know, it doesn't have to be like you take him out to... Olive Garden or something. Any other ideas how we can? I think this is time for Phil to share his philosophy of you can't just be a good person; you have to talk about it. Go ahead, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've often, you know, people have said well, all the time. Sometimes use words, and my argument against that was. I think a good life, one else's good life would never have convinced me of Christ. Mm -hmm. Someone had to use the word, someone had to ask me, point blank, do I believe in God? And confront that, and yes, but it hasn't affected my life in any way, do I really believe in God? And then started studying the Bible, and so, again, I think the words are absolutely critical. Just living a good life is no doubt a correct way. But mm -hmm. just stop there. I don't think anyone's going to be very few people will be. Yeah. I springboard on that and say, before we go out and, and do something like this, I can't remember what the stat was, but somewhere around 75 to 80 percent of our communication is body language. Something along those same lines can be our Christianity, is how our character is. It doesn't matter what word you use if your character is not in right. Christ and in love. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to do a, a mapping of ourselves. Yeah. And it would help if somebody close to us would map us. Because <laughs> we have a hard time seeing yeah. that we're not doing what Christ is asking. Yeah. So next week we're going to talk about the 15-second testimony does it does anyone have a 15 second testimony that they can share in a literal 15 seconds <laughs> so that's that's one of the tools that i think has been one of the most effective is you know because when you think of a testimony like you think like you've got to tell this long detailed story because that's what most testimonies are um and so one of the things we'll talk about is how can you in, and it doesn't have to be 15 seconds, but the idea is very concisely open open the door for a spiritual conversation. 
by sharing a little bit about your story. Um, and some people won't respond to it and that's okay. I guess, you know, they're, you know, hard soil right now and that they're not ready for it, but some people will actually open up and it will lead to deeper, uh, more spiritual conversation. So that's what we're going to do next week. Um, yeah. I know it won't happen, but if, if all of us, you know, think about 15 second testimony that we can share next week, I mean, each of us could share it, and it would only take for all 150 of us <laughs> 35 minutes, you know, so uh, I think that's that would be a good, maybe not an assignment, but a challenge. So, yeah. So, so this week, think about think about your story, um, and you don't you don't have to think about how do I tell it in fifteen seconds. We'll talk about that tomorrow. But be prepared, just mentally thinking. Okay, this is where I've come from. This is you know, um, this is what the Lord has done for me, uh, and then we'll. Uh, and hopefully some of you will be willing to share your 15-second testimony. Um, and it will only take, hopefully, 15 seconds. So uh, hopefully several can can do it. Um, so we're, I think we're done. Any final questions, thoughts, or concerns? Yep. Yeah. In that first field, when you were making a garden, you spaded, you put manure on it or some kind of fertilizer. You do all this stuff, so you should be living a good life in front of somebody, making friends with them, so you can go on to the others. Yep, definitely. Would someone like to close us out in a prayer? Okay. Well, thank you for bringing us together tonight. And thank you for Nathan and sharing uh, the concept of our four fields, discipleship. And so, Father, I pray that as we talk about uh, that methodology and, and some of the, the tools with that, I pray that it will impact us. And, in a way that will spur us on to our own discipleship that we should be carrying out in our lives. And Father, I, I pray that you would, you would help us to see those opportunities where they are. And I pray, Father, that we would have the courage to, to seize upon those and uh, to tell people what really is the good news. And. Uh, ultimately to, to start reversing some of those brutal facts. Father, uh, be with us as we leave here tonight and go about our, our daily lives uh, for the, the rest of this week. And, and Father, I, I pray that we keep these things in the forefront of our minds and we'll be continually reminded about uh, the most important mission that you, you've given us. And, uh, Father, we love you and we ask all this in your son's name. Amen. Amen.
Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.